Well, good afternoon, everyone. Darren Saul here, your host of Playing With Perspective, the suspended animation podcast. Hope everybody's doing really well. It's episode 139, and I have the fantastic Janie Jordan here in the house. How are you, Janie? Hi there, and congratulations on 139. That's thank you. very, very impressive. And I love the name of Perspectives because it is all about perspective, isn't it? Uh, these days, I'm learning more and more how important perspective is. <laughs> Absolutely. So for all the audience out there, we've got a great show. We're going to be talking about how to avoid blood on the floor in a crisis. Janie Jordan is a reputation risk expert with over 30 years experience in crisis management, advising and coaching spokespeople on how to deliver a powerful, meaningful message in the media. A former journalist and award-winning PR practitioner, Janie has worked globally with some of the biggest names in the business, including GE. She's the author of the highly acclaimed, The Four Highly Effective Stages of Crisis Management, and is a regular speaker at global conferences. She is in the process of building an online course on reputation risk and also rewriting her book. Ritualistic sacrifice is an inevitable stage in a crisis and in this podcast, Janie will share tips and techniques in how to avoid being scarified. <laughs> so Janie, this is gonna be great stuff. I'm scared already. <laughs> and you know, I'm picking up on, on that word scary. Uh, you're scared already. Let me tell you, one of the workshops I was leading for emerging leaders, you know, the, the next gen of leadership in a lot of owner businesses, family businesses. Yeah. Uh, and he was, oh, a millennial. And we were talking about crisis management and how to prepare and what it means. And he looked at me and I said, so how's everybody feeling right now? And he looked at me and went, it's shit scary it's shit <laughs> scary and a lot and you've asked me a lot of people ask me what stops organizations from actually putting together a crisis management plan mm -hmm. and and the very sad fact is 75 percent of all those scary moments could be avoided really 75 percent as much as that mm -hmm. wow. yeah wow indeed and and it's, it's, it's actually a falsehood, an absolute myth uh, to think it won't happen to you for your small business. I'm here to tell you not only it can, it will, because we live, let's just perspective, let's just stop and think about the world we live in, right? It's a VUCA world. It's yeah. volatile. It's oh, uncertain. Yeah. It's complex. It's ambiguous. I mean, it's if you like, it's volatile and steroids, um, thanks to the pandemic. Part of that volatility has left the White House, thank goodness for that. However, that's another story, right? <laughs> so we're living in a VUCA world, so that it's volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. We're also living in a 24 by 7 news cycle. Yeah. Where social media, i.e. Facebook, Twitter, are as much part of the media as, say, the Financial Review, the 7.30 report. Absolutely. Or or the Daily Telegraph, Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, any any of the talkback radio. So when you talk about the media today, uh, let and then of course there are all the local. You know, there's the Wentworth Courier in Sydney, um, and you know like my community and all sorts magazines, of yeah. absolutely, and peer to peer magazines. And then like in my community up here in the Upper Hunter Valley, we have a news site that 
operates like a tabloid newspaper, right on the heels of breaking news. We have a very, very active community website. So if something big's happening, it will be there. And sometimes it will be there before you know or your wider stakeholder group will know. So that's the reality. So you're a small business. If something goes wrong, you're accused of racism, let's just say. That will go spread like wildfire because it's 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 something that is no longer socially acceptable at any level, never was, but it's yep. definitely not now. So small businesses need to be planning and thinking about, about what could go wrong for them and having a basic plan in place. That's why we prepare. Otherwise, we literally run around like chooks with our heads cut off. My God. I mean, it's it seems so important, obviously, but... You know, we're so busy running our businesses and running our lives and that's so time consuming and so takes so much effort. We've even got to put into place another plan of attack just in case something happens. But you see, that's a myth too. You know, if you think about it, oh, there's something else I have to do. Oh, that's another plan that has you written. Yep. Rather than having a culture that's crisis ready, yep. uh, the modern way of thinking about this is... It's a collaborative. You're doing this in partnership with your suppliers, your dedicated suppliers, your referral partners, your key stakeholders. So you all have a shared interest in preventing the unthinkable happening. So if you just take a small example, as like a culture of of a small or medium-sized business, if everybody is looking after, out for one another, going he, overhearing a mate's, you know, making a disparaging remark about a First Nations person, a woman, a person with disability, then that's a risk. So you can be crisis ready if you change culture and go, that's unacceptable here. Yeah, that gotcha. and so it, you're actually, which means ultimately the ultimate modern organization will anybody in that organization can declare a crisis because everybody understands the expectations the behavioral outcomes and 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 will cling to the values because they're they're lived true true totally i agree with you and it's all it's all about the common purpose and the common culture and the common philosophy and if we live that with truth we should always be prepared for any potential crisis and we probably won't get into anything because we're all you know, on the right path. Absolutely. Now, that's the ideal, isn't it? Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> human beings are imperfect, aren't they? No, yeah, We're imperfect. So therefore, we're going to muck up. We're going to stuff up along yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. And we'll make assumptions. I mean, I'm trained in this and I made an assumption um, that actually didn't cause a crisis, but it could have easily unless mm. I asked a follow-up, why? What, what do you actually mean? So it's actually part of being um, really understanding reputation risk and avoiding blood on the floor is actually courage. It's called courage to speak up and it's called courage to question and courage to ask that why and why again. And if you actually give yourself permission to take that step up and even ask the why of your leader, your boss, and go, just can you please help me explain? Or I seem to have offended you. Can you tell me more about what's happening right now? Rather than going, oh my God, this is scary. I don't know what to do. So it's 
that's the modern way and that's the way that society actually wants us to behave now that's what research after research after research says be authentic yeah. and in, in other words communicate just communicate yes simple now let's unpack absolutely well it's simple and complex isn't it yeah absolutely because communication everybody communicates we can't stop ourselves from communicating so let's unpack that communication is intrinsic to crisis management communication is intrinsic to business in, in, in and success or failure um and let's not get down the personal route but just just talk about business for a moment Definitely. yet so few people do it well yep i agree most people talk in jargon most people yep. will talk too long yep uh and fail to bring alive their communication with either authenticity or anecdotal evidence yeah. now in a crisis you've got to communicate very effectively and very quickly you've got to communicate the decisive actions you've taken and you've got to be clear about your message you can't dance around and and playing behind words well absolutely uh the golden rule is take responsibility and act fast yep. number one golden rule and act fast, what does that mean? It means today, if, if something bad is in the public domain, and we discussed earlier, it could be Facebook, a blog, a radio, it could yep. be anywhere today. If something bad is in the public domain, you have 15 minutes only. That's it. To respond. Otherwise, minutes. minutes. That's why developing a crisis-ready culture is really, really important. Wow. And I'd, I'd love to, I'll, I'll ask you this a bit later on because I want to get into a few um, topics that put this in context, but I'd love to know how easily or what, how, what's the success rate of actually trying to rectify things if you catch it within 15 minutes. But I'll get to that a bit later on. But let's chat so a bit. So just on the fifth, yeah. So just just the, before we leave the 15 minutes, so if anybody's just come in in the 15 minutes, it's, it's how... That's how long you've got to respond and what's in wow. the public domain. So the implication of that is that you've got to have templates or some empowered. Anybody in your organisation needs to be empowered, or at least more than the board, more than senior management team, to be able to act very, very fast. So it means change your way of thinking, change your protocols, change your processes, change your policies. Gotcha. Now, this might be a simple question, but or an obvious question, but... How do we even know when we're in crisis? <laughs> That's a very, very good question. Let's think about what a crisis actually is, shall yeah. we? Yeah, absolutely. Let's unpack yeah. that. Yeah, so it basically is a moment in time, right? It is something has triggered the crisis. Okay, so let's take something big as an example at the moment. There is an explosion on an oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico, BP and oil is splashing all out into the Gulf of Mexico and people are dead, right? It's a triggering event. It's a single moment in time and it has to be big enough to stop the show, whatever the yeah. show is, yeah. right? Yeah. Like the Grand Prix, the show was stopped in Melbourne last year. They mm -hmm. weren't the first Grand Prix and they're not going to be the first Grand Prix this year in 2021. So that's a, it's a, it's a triggering event that stops the show. That's what a crisis is. And add to that, the media spotlight, you know, the glare of a floodlight, if you like, today yep. is amplify on, things. Yep. Amplified on your organization. Yep. 
it, it will be on the victims and how quickly or not you've responded to the situation. So that's when you know you're in crisis. You know, uh, your phone is ping, ping, pinging. Uh, the red lights are coming up on Twitter, well, the proverbial red lights. You know, there's things on Facebook. It, it, here's an example. Sure. Qantas. You're Alan Joyce. You're the CEO of Qantas. You're in a taxi in Sydney. You're in uh, the back seat. You have your mobile phone. Beside you is the head of investor relations. You've been to an investment uh, meeting. And and the share price is going, taking a dive. And Alan Joyce goes, what the hell's going on? And there was reports, unverified, unconfirmed reports, that a Qantas plane crashed. Well, in fact, it hadn't, but bits of the Boeing engine had come apart. Rolls-Royce, who are in crisis all the time at the moment. <laughs> anyway, part of a Rolls-Royce engine, bits of the engine from the Qantas jet had fallen into Indonesia. So there were... So that's a crisis. That's a show-stopping moment. The share price is taking a dive. Alan Joyce doesn't know what's going on. He's found out from his phone going off and it took them a while to scramble and, and get information. That is typical of how a crisis right. uh, can unfold today. And you hear the media going, well, this is what we know, unfolding events, breaking news. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more yes. very soon. That's yeah, so that you, yeah. you've got the, it, it's uh, those first sort of 15 minutes, those first 24 hours are absolutely critical crucial. because you've got crucial. You've literally got, well, I said 15 minutes, but if you stretch it to an hour, you really, you're, you're behind the story, as they say. Yeah, yeah. You've got to get ahead of the story. And the story doesn't have to be mainstream media. The story could be your local community at the cafe that's gossiping about you. You know, it's absolutely where the story is. And here's a little tip. Pick the panic. Pick the panic. So explain that to us. What does that mean? So a bit of the engine's fallen out of the sky for Qantas. It's landed in Indonesia. And Indonesians are tweeting about it. Who's going to panic? Which are your stakeholders are going to panic most? And where will the noise come from? Right. So if you pick the panic and anticipate the panic, you can get ahead of the story. Gotcha, gotcha. But you, you, that's a little bit more difficult and challenging, Darren, if you haven't done that in advance. If you haven't maybe thought up of the top three or top five bad things that could happen to you that would yeah. cause a stop the show type event, um, then you, you're scrambling to get contact numbers, uh, email addresses, mobile phone numbers, yep. and you're losing precious time. So even having an up-to-date contact list and knowing who your VIPs are, i.e. people who have to get a phone call from the MD or the relationship manager or someone down the supply chain. Can you imagine oh, what Quant yeah, what Qantas had to do and, and panicking employees, uh, the captain on the plane, he would have to just like, walk, you know. So there's a whole lot of things that get triggered. Actions get triggered. Yep. And good crisis planners match the actions with good communication. Gotcha. And as you say, preparation in advance is key because then at least you know, you have a roadmap for how to respond when something happens. Absolutely. Even look, quite frankly, draw something on the back of a napkin in a restaurant if you have to. I mean, you know, at least have a page that, you know, like you can grab and go or it's laminated or you've got a virtual, you know, war room to go to that's password protected where notes, you can do it in Trello. There's yep. so many, 
you know, good systems out there. We can track progress and everybody knows the handover. You don't have to do a handover at midnight. Personally, you can just go in and look on whatever virtual system you've set up to go in and find out what the last action was because this is a 24 by 7 world. Definitely. Wow, is it, is it ever? So now, ritualistic sacrifice. <laughs> what on earth does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure many of us would know who Warren Buffett is, you know, probably. Why, well, yes, a, a, an investment guru, you know, one of the most successful investors in the world. So Warren Buffett has said there will always be blood in the floor in a crisis. So what does that mean? It usually, so let's think about the pandemic for, for a while. Let's think about the Victorian response to it. And we've had maybe two health ministers, I think, who've been sacrificed yep. because somebody has to pay for what's happened. Yep. You know, someone's going to be deemed to be responsible. So there's always a sacrifice. It is blood on the floor, ritualistic. It is well, it's scientifically proven. It's very well known in crisis management circles that someone's going to be given the flick. Dream world. Let's cast our mind back. Oh, what is it? Three or four years ago when that dreadful accident happened on the rapid, mm. rapid, whatever, rapid something. One of the rides. Rides. And families, you know, they were tragic, you know, um, great tragedy when families lost and it was horrible ultimately deborah thomas who who actually i i, I do know that she, the board you know there was a lot of things that went on behind the scenes when you know only a few of us know about anyway they were gagged pretty well and, and weren't able to do anything they were not taking the advice of their very good pr people um an agency so she ultimately got sacked well she left the organization and she was that's another example of what ritualistic sacrifice is gotcha. but it doesn't always have to go that far no oh no i mean if you look most crises are predictable yeah you know well of course you know mother nature comes and let's put you know natural causes out of it but most reputation risk comes from bad behavior and I'm sad to say a lot of bad boys behaving badly because <laughs> there's so more, there's many more of them at the top. Uh, so, you know, sadly, it's just a statistic, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's because ego and power gets in the way and that's, we all know the repercussions in that. And behaviour, you know, and, and if organisations have failed to keep up with the social licence to operate, mm -hmm. uh, then, you know, Remarks as a, you know about our First Nation people, any you know any Indigenous really, um, or people with disabilities, or, or women, and and still those remarks. It's the behaviour that can trigger something. It's yeah. typically what happens. Yeah. Wow. And so now going back to my earlier question, if we really are well prepared and we act within fifteen minutes, how well can we really turn this around and step out in front of it? That's the idea. Get, get ahead uh, get ahead of the story um and you know it's a long time ago but i think it's worth remembering there was two one of them i'm going to talk about in sydney there was shell had an oil spill in sydney harbour well, yep. it happened late i think it was eight or nine o'clock at night the news was broken on television um and the night watchman held the first media conference the night wow. watchman <laughs> 
so that's that. So let's stop right there. There's a lesson in in educating, and empowering the front line, the vulnerable, where are your vulnerable sites, and if the worst case happened, i.e., big oil spill in the Sydney Harbour, who's going to front the media? Well, at ten o'clock at night, it's going to be whoever's on duty. Yeah. So very sensibly, they educate and empower their front line. And have always, and they've always, they've had a 20 minute rule actually in their organization for a very long time. So they're, and so the next morning they're ahead of the story. So then it moves in the second stage, uh, because that's the second stage, after something's happened, the news is out, then they stepped in ahead of the story with very, very good communication. It is an absolute lesson on how to do it. And they had allies coming out of the woodworks. Then Premier, I think it was. Uh, the Premier then was Bob Carr, yep. and he came out and said, we need a working harbour. Yes, this is unfortunate. Yes, it's tragic. We'll work with BP, not BP, work with Shell to clean it up, but we need a working harbour. Yep. And so their friends came out. So that was a good case. And, of course, one of the most famous of all is Johnson & Johnson back in the mid-'80s with the uh, Tylenol being, oh. yeah, being poisoned. Ooh. And their responses gained textbook very fast turnaround. Then, because we didn't have Twitter back in the mid '80s, <laughs> we barely had mobile phones and computers. I don't know. Uh, uh, so they had more time, but nonetheless, they they acted very fast and got their story out very quickly. Yeah. And in the movies, we and in series I watched, they always say. Let's control the narrative. Is that that's what that is basically? Yeah. Well, you, I don't think you can control anything. Actually, I can barely control what I have for breakfast. So, <laughs> but what 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 we can do is manage. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can manage the narrative, and and it's less is more. So it's really important we give people a way of thinking about the crisis. I.e. Is it tragic? Is it unbearable? Is it? Uh, I mean, I never say unfortunate because no one believes you. Yeah. Or it's disappointing. Yeah. You know, we're as disappointed as everyone else is about what happened today yeah. in the Sydney Harbour. We thought we had a watertight uh, plan and and that everything was okay in the ships. Clearly something badly went wrong. And let me reassure you, we're doing everything we can to fix this as fast as possible. Please be wow. patient with us. Great. Yep. Absolutely. And so, Janie, I'd love to know a little bit more about how you work. Tell us a bit about how you work and exactly what you do with all that experience in the media. Do you know what? Sometimes I think back. I was a little girl from country New South Wales up in the northwest (laughs) where we were were over 100 kilometres from our nearest town and I didn't even go to school until I was 11. I did correspondence school. Oh, really? I was shy. Yep. I was shy. Who would have thought? No way. Who would have thought? And here I am being privileged and blessed and honoured to work with some amazing people on a global scale. So I went from a shy little country girl at boarding school to being a journalist, uh, which I always wanted to do. And then I went into in-house corporate communication. I learned a lot about how to deal with the crisis because I remember getting a phone call. So I'm young, very young. Um, but I'm, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm, head, I'm the publicity officer, <laughs> and uh, the company I was working to had decided to put up their prices, um, but nobody bothered to tell me. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Nobody bothered to tell me. So I get phone calls from journalists going, "So when he, so how long is it since you've decided to print money? Uh, 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 what? <laughs> Let's. Uh, so I, I was, I don't know, in my twenties and. 
but I had a lot, I knew a lot of the agricultural journalists I was working in an agribusiness company. They trusted me and liked me. Um, and I went, oh my, uh, well, Peter, let me find out what's going on and get back to you. So I learned very early um, yeah. that you could be caught off guard when you aren't in the C-suite, you know. So I had to work very hard and I'm a young woman, right? I'm working in a in a man's world, you know, mostly male dominated field. Mm. I had to work hard and be very educated um, as much as I possibly could. So I could speak the language of the C-suite. I could speak the language of the men yep. and they could learn to trust me and they would tell me information and know I wasn't going to leak it or or, or share it. So I learned very early. And then when I had my PR consultancy, I just like to, I don't know, it must be from my late father, you know, integrity and doing the right thing, that I was always very interested in the serious side of PR, not publicity, publicist, you know, uh, flitting around, whatever, but actually looking at reputational risk and looking at organisations and helping them understand how the media might report a crisis, helping them understand where their risks were and, and mm -hmm. picking, you know, what's coming over the hill to bite you or potentially help you. So I've been, you know, playing and working around in the issues management, which is you know, doing something and communicating about it, not sweeping it under the carpet yeah. before the crisis hits. So and then when I had my second company, which was a media training company, we did a lot of work in the lead up to the Sydney Olympics. And I was very privileged to be working with the second uh, major venue at Darling Harbour. Oh, wow. And so we did a two-year program with all the little sovereign states, as I call them, all the individual businesses in Darling Harbour to help them prepare. So they understood their responsibilities to their landholder and to the overall image of the Sydney Olympics. Wow. So I work with a lot of business continuity people. I, I worked. Business people, actors. No, yes. Well, I actually, I don't know how, but this is a funny little anecdote for you. <laughs> I was, imagine this. There is a shack. It literally was like a shack. Uh, it was near, it was near the red, out, out sort of Everly Redfern Way. Mm -hmm. There was where it was the SES headquarters, yep. from memory. And I'm sitting there with the brass, literally, Darren, the brass. Everyone in that room except for Sir Humphrey, the bureaucrat from Premiers and Cabinet, who was in his literally pinstripe suit, literally <laughs> the caricature of Sir Humphrey. Uh, and the rest are all braided. They're all police. They're all, you know, senior emergency services people. Wow. And me, only woman in the room. Wow. And we are asked to evaluate the crisis management plans of all the key infrastructure companies associated with the Olympics, yeah. right? Yeah. Like telecommunications, water, utilities, you name it, right? And we got to this particular crisis management plan and, and the, the boys, you know, the men, we're you know, sort of shaking their brass around and going, oh, yeah, this <laughs> is fine, this looks good. And now here comes that C word again, courage. And, and I looked at it and I went, there is nothing in my bones, my integrity. My father must have been on my shoulder saying, you cannot possibly approve this. And I was, took a bit of a deep breath and went, I, I respectfully disagree, gentlemen. Wow. This plan is completely inadequate. There is nothing in here that would convince me they would know how to deal with that crisis if it struck them and we'd be in trouble. Oh, fantastic. And the room went 
absolutely silent. <laughs> and then the then this Humphrey character piped up and he said, I completely agree with Jane. Send it back. It has to be redone and we need to make sure they know what they're doing. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And so you work obviously with a lot of organisations, with government bodies, but also individuals with personal brands. Yes. I mean, like a personal brand like Alan Joyce, CEO of yeah. Qantas, you know, when yeah. the same-sex marriage debate yeah. was happening, yeah. he took a very active stance in his role, not as an individual citizen per se, but you can't really divorce those things today yeah. if you've got a high profile like Alan Joyce, and he spoke out in favour of it. Now, he was criticised. I got a lot of fact, but I actually admire his courage and survey, you know, like the Edelman Trust Barometer, any of the big surveys that look at reputation risk, look at trust. Uh, year old, probably for the last two or three years, have shown that the millennial workforce in particular, but not only, uh, absolutely want and expect, not only want, but expect their organisations and their CEO to take a stance and speak out. And that actually makes you an attractive company to work for. Yeah, so true. So true. It's a, it's a different philosophy, a different mentality now with the next generation, isn't it? With oh, completely. Yeah. Yes, they expect it. You know, they yeah. want authenticity. They yeah. want to see the whites of your eyes and trust you. Yeah, yeah. Trust, and, I like you that. You know, yeah. trust. And then you look at um, Atlassian with Michael Cannon Brooks, you know, Atlassian are completely transparent. You can go online and all their policies, yeah. everything is out there for anyone to see. Now, that's a modern organisation. Now, I understand what, how you prepare. You've got, you know, match culture, but you've got to tweak it and know that today it's speed. You know, it's not the drug, but it's speed is everything. Speed yeah. really, really, really matters and perception is everything. Definitely. I mean, in this modern day, as you mentioned, it's 24-7 social media, magazines, books, movie, uh, uh, TV stations, TV, radio stations. It's just we're bombarded. Absolutely. And if you've been a bad boy behaving badly, like, uh, and they were all men um, in who are leading <laughs> the BP, they all tried to blame each other and yeah. BP got absolutely castigated for that. You end up as a movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, the deep it turns water, into a movie well, plot. It, it turns, it did, and it became a movie. Yeah. Uh, you could also expect if there's a Royal Commission, your crisis management plan is going to end up as evidence. Yeah, that's true too. Wow. Wow. So there's a lot to think about. But, you know, but it's just being taking a simple step of going, do you know what really works? You know, pre preparing, thinking of the bad things that can happen to you. Organisations, employees love to plot and plan. <laughs> they are, if you get a cross-section of your organisation, even if you're an organisation of 20, you know, just take a, a little bit of a representation of them and, and have a brainstorm. And let me tell you, they will come up with all the things that could go wrong in your organisation and they will delight in doing it. And and whilst, you know, so you can make it fun. It does, this is, yes, it can be shit scary if it happens to you without a plan. It is absolutely that. But you can just take some very simple steps. So, one, get together a little cross horizontal cross-section of your organisation, 
give them a brief and say, think of all the bad things that could happen to our organization and who would need to know about that? Who would who would criticize us? Who would support us? Help yeah. hinder. And you've got a basic plan. Then you go, okay, do we have the contact list? Do we have their up-to-date emails? Do we have their, what's their Facebook page? What are the handles? What are the passwords? You know, you, you just get the basics yep. and you've got a couple of pages done. I suppose just like you have an occupational health and safety plan, just like you have a fire drill, you need to have one for crisis as well. Yes. And to think if a fire, if, if, of course, you know, they will report, you know, there are unconfirmed rumours or unconfirmed reports of a fire in factory X, Y, Z. Yep. And then, you know, your suppliers going to hear your employees, their, you know, your partners, your children. You got you just think through. It is actually quite a simple thing to do and can be fun. And let me tell you, it will save you lives and save you money. Here's the golden rule. For every dollar you spend on preparation, you'll save nine in response. Wow, I love that. Every dollar you, you spend on preparation, you save nine in response. I love that. So let's say you spend 10,000, you're going to potentially save 90,000 you spend 100,000 you're potentially saving awfully close to a million dollars wow and that's not even including the mental energy you spend absolutely and then you you've got people who have you know um post-traumatic stress syndrome if they're not properly debriefed there's unhidden there's hidden hidden costs because of the impact that it has on people at the front line there's debriefing counseling uh, all of those sorts of things. And again, you know, if there's a small organisation thinking about this going, okay, do we have a psychologist we could call? Is there, is anybody, you know, do we just want to have them, we, we'll bring in a couple of people, let's have a chat with them. We may never use them, but at least they know a bit about us. We know a bit about them and we can call them in if necessary. Perfect. I love it. Yep. As you say, just being fully prepared and organised is really 90% of the battle. It is. Yep. It is. And then, then if you're really serious, you get people in like me who put you through your paces, yeah. you know, yeah. do a bit of an audit of your plan and just might find something, might not, might just go tick, yep, you're ready, or mm, a bit of tweaking here and there, let's do a little bit of a, you know, a bit of a desktop exercise and test it and validate it, or you really got a big, big issue here, you need to have your key spokespeople trained, yeah. you know, stress tested. Yep, yep. Wow. Because it, it, let me tell you, strange things can happen when you stress test people yeah. in uh, media training. I've, I've had what well, we picked this. We're launching, this is going back in my PR career, we were launching this big controversial animal health product. And we'd chosen the vet, the in-house company vet, because he was good looking, he was articulate. <laughs> anyway, we put him through his paces in training. First interview, he sailed through, we all going, oh, yes, I'll be clever. <laughs> Fantastic. Second interview got very difficult. Got very difficult because if he was going to be the spokesperson, he had to be tested and validated. He took personal offence, jumped out of his chair, and went to literally give a, a you know wanted to get into a fist fight. He wanted to oh knock. Oh my god! <laughs> he wanted to knock the journalist out. Oh and my he, and, god! And if the journalist and the cameraman hadn't moved back in a hurry. He would have knocked, he would have, um, you know. Wow. Yeah. So needless to say, he got scrapped. Definitely. I bet they weren't expecting that. No, none of us were. (laughs) I mean, none of us were. And it was just like, oh, my God. 
what oh just happened. Oh, my God. And so what do you love? What, what are you so passionate about with respect to what you do? Because you are extremely passionate about what you do. What is it that really, that really makes you, uh, that, you know, makes you tick? I have a, I passionately believe that powerful communication, powerful, strategic, deliberate communication is the cornerstone of all great leadership. I love that. And the more that I can do to, you know, debunk the myths about the media, the more that I can actually be of service and, and actually go behind the scenes and go, this is what can happen. Yeah. These are the, because it's all very predictable. There are four stages and it unfolds, even with the social media, it just goes faster and faster and faster. But there are very typical stages, yeah, the yeah. media reporter crisis. There are always the same questions asked at every single stage, mm -hmm. always. So why wouldn't I share that information? Yep. Why wouldn't I package it up and put it into programs and put it into, you know, very easy bite-sized bits that can help organisations so that lives are saved, reputations are, are intact. I love it. Yeah. And as you say, leadership is so important these days more than ever before. Mm. So, you know, grooming good leaders is such an important thing. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love working with emerging leaders. Yep. You know, uh, before they've got bad habits. <laughs> but you know what? If they've got bad habits, it's just going to take a lot longer. It's a bit like, you know, learning to swim differently or, learning, you know, having a better tennis serve or that golf. I don't play golf, but, you know, people spend a lot of money with golf pros. Yeah. It's the same thing. You go backwards and people get frustrated before yeah. they go forward. Yeah. Um, but it's like anything, you know, it just takes time love it well and Janie tell us a bit about your book how can we find your book and oh yeah well tell us a bit my, more about it yeah the book is what 10 years old now wow yeah I know but the principles never change you know take responsibility act fast you know be authentic have empathy and you know and and know when it's a crisis as opposed to a bit of bad publicity yeah. uh, so the principles that are in my book and and how to do a really good media interview in my book the four highly effective stages of crisis management, but updating it now with case studies that are more relevant, okay. more, more about the social media, how to, what to anticipate, how Twitter works as opposed to how Facebook works. Beautiful. You know, Facebook is like a big street party, really. Mm -hmm. uh, Twitter, Twitter is like a big megaphone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What about LinkedIn? Where, where oh, you well, LinkedIn? you know what? People think that LinkedIn doesn't matter, but it does. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it's a B2B network and it's where reputations are made or broken, really. Big time. Like they and say people, LinkedIn is becoming more and more like Facebook these days. Yes, I agree with you. And people like me write up case studies yeah. and share them on, on Twitter. So that always amazes uh, some of my clients and organisations that they could end up as a case study somewhere. It terrifies oh, wow. them. Yeah. It's actually, it's actually an incentive yeah. to get a plan together. Yeah. Otherwise, Didn't somebody really? like me is going to write, going to write about you <laughs> badly. Oh, boy. <laughs> like, I've got to be writing about Eddie McGuire. Um, you know, mm. so by the time this podcast goes live, it would have been out there. But uh, if people want to follow me or, or get tips, 
they can go to my website and subscribe to my newsletter because it's very practical. I share right. latest trends, latest research. I look at, you know, I unpack a, a, a crisis or, or I, I share uh, other people's views um, on how to become more self-aware as a leader because the more self-aware you are, the better, the better you will lead in a crisis. Definitely. And as I, I always say, like self-awareness is a superpower. It is a superpower. It is a superpower. And it's not easy to cultivate, but we all have to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. The more self-aware, the better, really. Okay. Uh, and Because you know what the statistics tell us? That 90% of us think we're self-aware. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And you know what the actual statistic yeah. is? 50%? No, 10 to 15. Oh, my God. Oh, God, that's crazy. <laughs> I know. So there's, we've got a long a lot way of work to, go. to do. A lot of work to do. Yes, that's right. <laughs> well done. Well, Janie, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. A fascinating topic, and you are extremely passionate about what you do. So I'm also going to put the links to your website, your newsletter, your book, and um, any other ways that people can find you. LinkedIn. And uh, LinkedIn, of course. Them, Absolutely. Yes. And LinkedIn as well. Mm. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with before we finish up? <laughs> Uh, well, I would say do whatever you can right now to go, are we prepared if this really worst thing happens? If not, yeah. start your reputational risk planning now. Got it. Get out a piece of paper, get out a napkin, wherever yeah. you are, get a pen, put something together. That's right. And bring and, and let me tell you, your employees will have great fun with you brainstorming. Just you know, take an hour. You know, make it part of what you do rather than make it scary and something separate. Yeah, so make true. it part of what you do every day and the world will be a better place if we're more crisis ready and more crisis aware. Oh, love it. What a perfect way to end the podcast. Janie, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. All the audience out there, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. We'll see you very, very soon for another episode of Playing With Perspective. And just a little plug, if anybody likes what we do, please put us a send us a review on YouTube or on Podbean or on Apple. That's what helps us keep the show together. So thanks, everybody. Have a great one. Janie, thank you again. My pleasure. And we'll see everybody very, very soon. Bye for now.